Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Caroline Boudreaux is a social entrepreneur and founder of the Miracle Foundation, an international nonprofit that helps orphans and foster children find a safe, stable, and permanent family. Caroline is a firecracker Cajun who was born and raised in Lake Charles, Louisiana. She founded Miracle Foundation in 2000. While visiting a small village in India, Caroline was invited to the home of a local family that had taken in over 100 orphaned children. From the moment she met those children, she committed her life to helping children find forever families and the sense of belonging we all crave. For her achievements with Miracle Foundation, Caroline has received various awards, including the Hope Award, the Impact Award, and the United Nations Humanitarian Award. She's a popular speaker on topics of reimagining philanthropy, social impact versus charity, and how to engineer a miracle. In 2009, she was recognized as one of 200 young global leaders at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. Caroline has completed executive programs at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, Yale's Jackson Institute for Diplomacy, and the India School of Business. Today, it is my absolute delight to introduce you to this new dear friend of mine, and I think you'll fall in love with her just as quickly as I did the first day we met when she bought me a sandwich at Sundance Film Festival before even meeting me in person because we were headed to the same meeting with mutual friends and she heard I was hungry. Her passion for saving families is absolutely contagious, and I can't wait for you to get to know her and be inspired by her goodness. Caroline, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today and so grateful for our friendship. And I think we should tell everybody where we met and how we met because it was really special and how we got to spend several days together, just really getting to know each other. So I ended up going to Sundance Film Festival completely unexpectedly. Um, I had an invitation from our mutual friend, Lindsay Hadley, to go to you know some Sundance events. And then I just, at first I was like, no, I can't go. And then I just felt like the spirit kept nudging me. Like you need to go, you need to go. So I booked a flight the day before, changed all my travel plans, showed up. And then I met you and you said, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing here? You know, what's your involvement in Sundance or the film industry? And I said, I have no idea why I'm here. I just felt like I was supposed to be. And you said to me basically the same thing, right? You said, I don't really know why I'm here either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I knew that they had started a documentary on our work and that they were there to promote that documentary. But then they said, well, why don't you come? And I thought, gosh, I never thought once. I mean, not for 10 seconds about going to Sundance and just an opportunity to go. And I just thought, well, gosh, if I can help contribute to get this message out there, then I'm going to go. And so, yeah, it was like, you was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I just know that I'm here. And I met you and maybe that's why I was supposed to go. I don't know. I felt an immediate kinship when you told me that. I was like, oh, girlfriend, we're on the same page. So (laughs) 
now we got to introduce you to everyone and tell them about how incredible you are and your mission and everything that you're doing that I was so blown away by. So let's just start with you, who you are, what you are doing with this Miracle Foundation and everything, kind of your, your story. When you meet someone and they say like, who are you and what do you do for work or for, you know, in life? What do you say? I say I'm Caroline Boudreaux. Um, and I work with um, children and vulnerable children and foster children and orphan children to help them get a safe and permanent family. Um, because we know when you help children, then you can help so many, you help a community, communities do better, countries do better, the world does better when we take care of our children. You have less homelessness, you have less crime, you have less mental illness. Um, and we know that crucial to children thriving is that they grow up in a family, a safe and stable family. And so that's my life's work is to get children that are in the orphan system or the foster care system into a stable and permanent family, because that's really what they all want anyway. That's so true. And it's so beautiful and incredible. Your, your full story, which we'll get into in a minute. But when I came home and I told my husband about you, I was like, it's hard for me to describe just how incredible this woman is because you were in the business of helping orphanages form and, and, you know, become established and everything. I was trying to explain to my husband, it's almost like someone who worked for the tobacco industry. And then they said, Oh, wait, this, this, I realize this isn't what we, we need to do the opposite. And so then, you know, they started like telling people to stop smoking or something, <laughs> you know, it's just remarkable. So I don't want to like steal your thunder, but let's talk about that, how you had this like 180 in your career and when that happened, I guess. I've had a couple of 180s, you know, I, I mean, I used to be in the corporate world. So I came from television. I, I yeah, I used to work in television. That's right. Yeah. And, um, my best friend and I decided um, back years ago that we would quit our corporate jobs and take a trip around the world for a year because we were just sick of working for the man. We were just sick. Yeah. Of it. yeah. So, so um, that was really my first 180. But um, so she and I decided we, we'd quit our jobs, take a trip around the world for one year. We went back to her house. We spread this world map on the floor and we started picking the countries we wanted to visit. And she wanted to go to India because she had been sponsoring a child. And she wanted to go meet him. And I just yeah. said, Chris, oh my gosh, he's not real. <laughs> it's it's baloney. There's no kid. They give everybody the same picture. I mean, I really made fun of her about it. Um, but she said, no, she wanted to go. She wanted to meet this person. She knew he was real. And so we started our trip in January. We got to India in May. And um, we went to this very remote village and got paraded through this village. And at the end of this parade was this little boy standing there holding the first picture she'd ever sent. He was real. And he had gotten all of everything that she had ever sent. And so we started doing volunteer work in that village every day. And then Mother's Day came. It was May the 14th of 2000, the day that changed everything. Um, I got up early and called my mom for Mother's Day and then went and worked in this village all day. It was 119 degrees so hot. So so hot. And I'm thinking, you know, here I am working with the poorest people in the world. Um, and then I, uh, we, we spent the day at the village and then we went to this local's house for dinner and we walked into his orphanage. And I mean, really just the bottom fell out. I mean, I was just looking at these 110 beautiful, bald, 
empty looking, hungry looking children. I just had never seen anything. I had never seen anything like it. I was so unprepared for it. We had a beautiful prayer service with them. We had dinner with them, which was really just some rice with some sugar in it, no protein. Um, that's why they were bald. Mm-hmm. And then um, after dinner, this little girl came and put her head on my knee. This little angel came and put her head on my knee and I picked her up. And when, when you pick them up, they would just like push themselves into you. They would just like attach. Mm-hmm. And I sang her the lullaby my mom used to sing to me because I hadn't forgotten for a second that it was Mother's Day. And she fell asleep in my arms and I went to put her in her room and I walked into her room with these wooden beds, like these picnic tables, these planks. And, you know, I put a, I put a hungry orphan baby on a wooden bed on Mother's Day. And I just thought, somebody better help these children. Somebody's got to take a stand for these children. And I just decided right there that day that it was going to be me, that I was going to help them somehow, some way. And that was the beginning of the Miracle Foundation. That was 23 years ago. And I called it the Miracle Foundation, just kind of like tongue in cheek, because first of all, I knew it was going to take a miracle to get the foundation on the ground. I knew that. And then the second thing was, I knew they were miracles, the human potential that I saw in their eyes. I just, I just believed in them. I just knew that if just given a chance that they could really, really thrive. Um, And then of course, um, they're just little miracles. They're just perfect little people. And so- yeah. So I started that's an incredible story. Just a beautiful, like it, if, I mean, I feel like every woman has that like motherly instinct of a child and wanting to protect them. So as a woman, and I'm sure for men too, but hearing that it just touches me so deeply to think about, you know, your experience and that you just made that commitment that day to devote your entire life to this is so amazing. Thank you. It was, it was the best commitment I ever made. It was the most powerful commitment I've ever made. I'm so grateful I did it. But so then, you know, I started, I started going to as many orphanages as I possibly could. I started visiting all these orphanages. And, you know, as a businesswoman, I'm thinking, you know, you guys are doing the same thing. Why are you all running everything so ad hoc? Where are the systems? Where are, where, you know, where are the processes and procedures? You're, you know, if every Starbucks can run the same, why would we not run every orphanage the same? You don't have to make up how to run an operation. And so we basically went into existing orphanages and improved their standards of care. And we just did it over and over and over. And we got better and better and better. And we had these 300 orphanages that were running our methodology across India. And then, as you said, the second kind of like pivot or aha came when we learned that most of those children in those institutions had a parent. They were just too poor to care for them. They just, they were called, they were called economic orphans. And we, you know, we started looking at them going, well, what is an economic orphan? What does that mean? And right. it means the family's too poor to care for them. Now, I mean, what a price to pay for being poor. And this is mind blowing. The first time I heard it, actually, Lindsay explained this to me on the beach in Hawaii in 2020. And I just was like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, that, that idea just blew my mind. And so, so keep going with how I I really want to know. And I don't know that we even had the time to deeply discuss this. So I'm super excited to hear what did that look like when you were like, wait a minute, I, maybe there's a different way to do this. And how did you walk into that uncharted territory? 
Oh, gosh, thank you for asking. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, everybody thought I was crazy. I mean, like, wait. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know, they, they were saying it's a snowflake. You know, how can you help? It's, you know, when the kids are in this box, it's easy to help them. It's easy to measure your progress. It's easy to see improvements. But, you know, what what do you do when they're scattered and, and, and you know, they go into homes, you have no more control. But, you know, when you talk to the children, you know, they would say, you know, I have an auntie that comes or I have a sister that comes or I have a grandmother that comes. And so really the whole secret was um, asking the children, who is it that you want to live with? Who is it that you would be safe with? And they're so smart and they know, I mean, they don't want to go live with someone that's going to beat them every night. They want to be with somebody who's going to love them and care for them and let them get an education and let them have a little recess, yeah. you know, some sweets every once in a while. I mean, they, they want to have a great life. Yeah. And so, they help choose. And so we started um, talking to the children, asking the children to have lunch and learns, inviting families to the institutions. And so we would say to the kids, invite somebody to come this Sunday, invite them to come. We'll pay for their transportation and, you know, give them a place to stay and give them food. And, you know, and I mean, I'm telling you just orphanage after orphanage after orphanage, people were coming. I mean, like, I mean, I've been to orphanages where every single child had someone show up that very first day. Every single child had someone show up for them that very first day. And they would say, crazy. We, we will take her back. We would love to have her back. She wants to come. We want her to come, but we really just need some, we just need some help. And so we started learning what it is with each family that they needed help with. And we started supporting families and strengthening families. It's five times cheaper than it is to support a child in an institution. The children are happier and you don't have to pay for them forever. You can get a family on their feet. You can help them with their food or their education or their mental health or their livelihood. You can help with that. These are these are solvable problems. And so we started doing that. And, and you know, now most of the children, most of those 15,000 children that were in those institutions have either gone on to college or they've gone home. That's so incredible. And obviously, you know, we lost board members in the process. We lost a lot of donors in the process. You know, people like to support children in institutions. They think that's, you know, they that's where the, that's where the, that's where the innocence lives in institutions. Right. Fact is, you're not dealing with an orphan. You're dealing with a child that has parents and parents have rights to them and, and parents want them. And so mm -hmm. let's strengthen the families. And so we've been doing that since 2016, helping get children out of institutions and into their families, helping helping um, children be prevented from entering the system in the first place. And um, we are now working in the United States as well, strengthening families so that they don't ever enter the system in the first place. Because the minute you hit the foster care or orphanage system, damage is done. And what I learned from you also was just mind blowing about, you know, our foster care system as far as what a child's, um, what their options are. If they, you know, if a child has to, if they can't stay with, their parents or whoever has been raising them, then they can't just automatically go to a be filtered through the foster system to another adult in their family. Like explain right. that to me. How does that, how, why? If you're not licensed and, and, and have your foster system license. If you're not, if you haven't gone through the process, you can't be a foster parent. So they can't just put you with your grandmother or your auntie or your cousin or your sister. They can't do that. They put them, they, they put them with a stranger in some states. If, if you are with your family, if you do end up with your family, you get no support at all. And so our systems That's have to wild. 
But the, the systems have to change. In the developing world, they use the orphanage system. Those orphanage systems are going away. We will not have orphanages by 2040. They're going to be gone. We're not, those countries don't want that anymore. They understand the power of family-based care. So they are jumping from, you know, we went from orphanage care in the United States. We used to have orphanage care. We went from orphanage care to foster care. The developing world is going from orphanage care to kinship care, to family care. Yeah. And it's working. And so now we got to do that in the United States. We got to go to family care because that does work. It, the average child in our foster care system moves an average of seven times. So we remove them from their family. Then we start spending all this money on their mental health and, and physical health and education and all the stuff that, you know, our wonderful welfare systems can provide on this child. And we don't do anything for their child, their family, but we move them. They, they move family to family to family to family to school to school to siblings to siblings to you know it's like we're torturing them right crazy right and you know that's that's the bad news the good news is if we can change the system in the developing world so that they're not using institutions anymore we can change the system here yeah it's not too big it's not it's not too daunting it's not too big and there's enough of us that care right Right. And I, when we had these discussions in Park City, I was just like, Caroline, you are like, you are the person that like, you're, you're the first person that I've heard talk about this in a way where you're saying not because I've heard before, like our foster system is so flawed, but I've never heard the type of solution that you've presented. And it feels like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a Rosa Parks moment where it's like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. So tell me what that looks like. Tell me what you guys at the Miracle Foundation are doing to turn this system around. So, well, we start with we start with the children. You know, we start with prevention. So, you know, you don't get a call from CPS unless there's a problem. You don't end up in a foster right. care system. You don't end up in an orphanage system unless there's a problem. So right. let's go identify those problems. So when a family gets called for CPS, let's go identify those problems and see if we can help a family. The idea is instead of having a child welfare system, which is what we have now, mm -hmm. let's have a family support system. Mm -hmm. How about that? How about we support families right where they are, right what they need? You know, there's something that's causing this issue. Can we possibly help this family? And I'm, I will tell you, poverty is the driver, not only in the developing world, but in the United States too. Yeah. You know, are these children neglected because they don't have, they can't afford daycare? Are these right. children on, are they Child neglected? Care is so expensive. Oh my it's goodness. So it's so expensive. And how are they supposed to, how, how are the working poor supposed to afford it when they have to work so much? Yeah. So there's things that we can do long before a child gets separated, where we can really walk alongside a family and support a family instead of removing the child and trying to help a child. I mean, it's not a holistic approach if you're not helping the family. Right. So are there states who are doing this right or doing it sort of right or moving in the right direction? You know... We're not doing it sort of right. No, we're not doing it sort of right. I mean, not that they're not trying, but there's so many, there's so much bureaucracy. There's so much, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much cover your butt. There's so much, there's so much of it that we've kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a bit. Mm -hmm. And so really we need to bring the humanity back to the work. I mean, it's very corporate, you know, 
a child's never, I mean, a state's not supposed to be a parent. I mean, a, the state could be a pretty bad parent, you can imagine. Really, what you right. want is you want parents to parent their own children. And I will tell you, if you know a foster kid or if you've ever talked to a foster kid, you just ask them, is there someone in their family that they could live with? And they will tell you. It's like, even if it's not their family, their first grade teacher, their next door neighbor, you know, I mean, you know, why aren't we supporting these people that really know this child already? And that the yeah, child... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. It's true. Like the child, the child knows. Yeah. It's like, could we fast track that? Could we do something to, you know, enable people who love these children to be able to quickly, you know, take them under their wing if that's the best option? Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we did in, um, in the developing world. You know, we would ask the child, who is it that you can live with? The child would identify that person. Then we would ask the child, if something goes wrong, who will you call? And mm-hmm. they tell us who they call. And that instead of like re- relying on some social worker that they may not trust or that they may not have ever met, they say, you know, I, you know, I liked my first grade teacher. I'd love to call my first grade teacher if there's a problem. So then you call the first grade teacher and say, she's going home. She said that if there's a problem, she'd like to call you. How do you feel about that? They always love it. They always mm-hmm. are honored. They never wait yeah. for the phone they t- they go meet the kid and go take him to ice cream and check on him. I mean, it just like surround. And then you put the power in the hands of the child, give them the agency yeah. that we know that they have. And yeah. so um, then you can go to the family. Then you do a home study, very much like an adoption, like you would if you were getting an, having an adoption. You do a home mm-hmm. study, and you find out what's the family doing. Who's the social relationships? Is you know is there a divorce going on? Is what's what's happening in this family? Is a right. social relationship. And then what's going on with their livelihood? Who's making the money? How are they bringing in money? Who's funding this family? And then you look at education. Where are they going to go to school? Who's going to make sure that they learn how to read? Is there a computer? Do they have internet? You look at mental health and health. And then you look at their their um, their conditions of their of their home. You know, is there something you can do to improve the home? Do they need furniture? You know, are they sleeping on a mattress with rats because they're poor? Are they sleeping on a mattress with rats because they're neglected? You know, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah. You can evaluate where a family is. You, there are resources all over this country. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't walk into a city without a nonprofit in this country. And so, there's a lot right. of places that would really want to help these families if if you match the resources. And so, that's the work. That's the work that we get to do every single day is match families with resources so that they can better keep their children, so that they can keep their children, and then do a better job of raising them. Right. I have a question for you that maybe I don't even know if this is like a good question, but I feel like the only people that I know who have been true foster parents are like the absolute salt of the earth, incredibly kind, generous, giving people. And then I feel like Hollywood portrays foster parents as like these evil, like, you know, grabbing people. Yeah. So tell me what that is like. What's the reality of that? The reality is, you know, not a lot of people get struck by lightning, but when someone does, it makes the news, mm. you know, and that's yeah. really what happens. So most foster families are wonderful people, wonderful, caring people who really want to help children, you know, yeah. and then, you know, but, and, you know, if if you want to do one thing to help in this whole thing is let's not bash the system or the people in it. Let's right. just say we want to help you get better because what I hear from a lot of foster parents is, you know, I'm killing myself over here 
And all I hear from everybody in the world is that I'm doing it for the money. Do you know how much money I make? Do you, you know how stupid that would have to be? You know what a bad revenue stream this is? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a lot of work. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they get a month. And so most of them I find are just like really doing an incredible job. And then, you know, the same with the social workers, the social workforce needs our help. Next time you meet someone that's a social worker in the, in the foster care system, give them a hug and thank them because their, their jobs are very, very difficult. They don't get paid very much. We ask a lot of them. They can be held in contempt if something happens to a child. I mean, it's very dangerous. So while, while I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, I'm saying that it's going to be possible, that it's possible yeah. to have a different outcome. You know, and, and the only way to make that work is for like-minded actors to act. That is how you change a system. That is how you change the world is like-minded actors acting. And when I say like-minded, I mean people that have hope and people that want to make a difference and people that think they can be bigger than the, than than who they are right now and step into bigger shoes. Yeah. That's and you're such a good example of that. So tell me when when people get involved in the Miracle Foundation, what does that look like? Oh, so there's just, there's lots of things. There's lots of ways to get involved. You know, one of the things we need is you and I were talking earlier is, you know, we need more voices. We need mm -hmm. people like looking at our social media and, and, and resharing that and, and telling the good stories because we post stories of hope every week. We post a story of hope about, about a family that's doing great or a child that's doing great. And it's not because Miracle Foundation is doing all this work. It's that we partner with other organizations that are doing powerful work. So this kind of power of the partnership. So, you know, increasing, you know, having a megaphone is a powerful thing. Giving a megaphone to us is powerful. Giving money to us is powerful. And I'll tell you, you know, donating money stretches you. It changes who you are. It, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what, how many tens of thousands of articles of clothing we have to buy before we kind of get the kind of hit that you're going to get when you start supporting other people, when you start supporting mm -hmm. nonprofits. It's powerful work. So your, your money is, is another one. And then lastly, your minutes, you know, think about, is there somebody that you know that has a family foundation? Is there somebody that you could do, um, you know, um, uh, wash cars for us? Is there, you know, give us some minutes, think about it, you know, so money, megaphone or minutes, those are the best ways to support any nonprofit. And then the other thing that I'd love for people to think about when they support um, organizations is, is consistency. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to do a megaphone, help us with the megaphone. If you're going to do the money, help us with the money. If you're going to do the minutes, give us some consistent minutes because it's not a one and done kind of solution. Right. Right. That makes sense. And I loved what you said too about that hit. Like, I want to go back to that for just a second because I have experienced that in my life so many times where, you know, it can seem like, and especially right now, I get this sense with so many people, it's a scarcity mindset. The economy is a little bit, you know, wacky right now. And I feel like a lot of people are very scarcity minded of like, I either like, I don't have enough of what I need, or I need to make more, or I need to make sure I keep more or whatever. You know, I, I feel that from almost everyone. And yet I feel like when you are in an abundance mindset, and when you start giving, that it reciprocates back to you, that it starts pulling the things in that you need. And it doesn't mean by giving away that you suddenly have less of what you need. I truly honestly believe that it is this like law of reciprocity where it starts coming back. Totally. I, you know, when I met my husband, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a, a philanthropic giver. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I just want to challenge you, you know, just for one year, give 10% just for one year. And I don't care who you give it to. I mean, of course I did care who we gave it to, mm-hmm. but I said, you, know, you, you want to anywhere you want to give it, but for one year, give 10% and just see what happens. And I'm telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't even the first quarter. He, I mean, he had done it for like three months and he got this huge promotion at work. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I who love knows? It. But it, but he's given 10% ever since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've, I've seen that with a lot of people too. And I mean, my husband and I are heavily involved in the recovery world and you know, that's, that's kind of like where we live and where my mind lives. So I've just seen it too, with so many people who do the steps and then step 12 is to give back what was freely given. And as they do that, their life just starts to blossom in abundance. And so I really believe in, you know, what you're talking about and I would love to hear more too about like minutes. That's such a cool idea. Like where have you, do you have like an example or a story of where you've seen that in a really powerful way? Yeah. You know, so we had, um, you know, we had this issue with a license that we really needed in India and we just weren't getting this particular license. And um, I found out that there was a group of women that were in a prayer circle and they had been praying for this license. Like they had, they had really spent their prayer time praying for this license for us. And Mm. we ended up giving it, but I mean, that is a perfect example of minutes is prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, um, you you may not be near enough to the Miracle Foundation to volunteer for us, but I mean, call a f- foster family and give them a thank you. Find out where your case managers are in your in your area and go buy them all a cup of coffee. I mean, people need a thank you. There's just not enough ahas in the system. So yeah. if you spend a few minutes to think about how you could really make someone's life better, you know, and it doesn't have to be kids in the foster care system. If you look around, there is a child that needs your attention. There is somebody that needs your love. And, and that's what I mean about minutes. It's like, just spend a little time thinking, praying, um, yeah. researching um, ways to give and ways to give back. And why does the consistency matter? What Explain that piece to me, because I, I think it's true too, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, um, you know, it's like electricity, you know, you can't just pay for it once. You got to keep paying, mm-hmm. keep paying. And it just really, it takes a long time for these systems to change. And so if you, you can't, it's not going to be a one and done. So, I mean, we have donors that have been donating for, I mean, I counted one of them. She's been donating for 22 years in a row. And while our work is not done, I mean, we've changed, we have totally transformed these systems since she started supporting us. And it just makes, makes it part of who she is. I mean, she's just part of, She's a part of our family, you know, that yeah. end of the day is what this is all about. At the end of the day, this is all about family. And, yeah. you know, your family doesn't show up for you one time. They show up for you over and over and over and over again. And they're there for you consistently. So that consistency is really key. The other thing about consistency is a lot of people, they they like what they hear and they donate to a foundation or they donate to an organization, but that doesn't really change the game. It's not It's yeah. not enough. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't change the game, not only for the organization or the, or the work, it doesn't change the game for you. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, it doesn't have a deep enough effect. Yeah. That, really reciprocity, yeah. that reciprocity, that stretching of us, you know, I mean, that yeah. my husband taking that leap of 10%. I mean, that was a stretch for him. I mean, he did not want to do that. That was, that was a, a leap of faith for him. Yeah. So, yeah. And then tell me lastly, 
Well, I, I have one last question after this, but tell me about courage because it had to have taken so much courage for you to do a couple of these big 180s where you decided, oh, I'm going to dedicate my life to children. And then down the road, well, we're going to actually do this completely differently than we have been, even at the expense of maybe losing donors or losing support, or maybe not everyone will understand. Tell me about like, where did you get the courage to do those things? You know, in a way, it didn't really take any courage because when you're, you know, when you're acting in the best interest of the children, mm-hmm. you'll just do whatever, you know, you'll just do whatever when you care about children. Uh, you know what I love about the word courage, though? The root word of courage is cur, which is the French word for heart. Oh, so when you're following your heart, mm-hmm. then it gets a little easier, you know, and so. I've always wanted children to have a family. I was so blessed. I was so blessed to have a family. I mean, I'm so grateful to be the giver um, that, you know, when I, when I, or I should say when we, because, you know, I have this beautiful team with me, but, you know, when we figured out that we could actually get children with their parents, I mean, what's more powerful than that? So, it didn't really, I didn't really feel like it took any courage. I mean, I've just been operating out of my heart. And so um, it didn't feel like it took any courage. Well, that's profound and, and very inspiring for someone like me who I, I do have to like some courage sometimes and be like, okay, I can do this. But that's, that's incredible that you just felt so compelled that you followed your heart and didn't even question it. That's really cool. That's a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm 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 really blessed. I'm really blessed with that. Okay, last question, Caroline. If there is one message that you want the people listening to this podcast episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? That it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to let kids languish in institutions and 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 get moved time and time again in foster care systems. We don't have to. It does not have to be this way. We can truly. If we partner, we can truly do it. We can truly have a family for every child. I I just, I just know it. I, I've seen it. I've seen it individually. I've seen it, you know, groups of kids that it just doesn't have to be this way. That's the Thank message you. I want to, to know. Thank you so much. Where can people get involved and follow along and, you know, help with the Miracle Foundation? Uh, you can go to miraclefoundation.org and read about our work. You can email me at love, L-O-V-E, at miraclefoundation.org. And um, uh, you can go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. We would just love people to get involved. And, you know, it cost about it cost us about $1,260 to prevent a child from ever entering the system or to be reunited with their families. It's not that much money. So if you want to help a kid... Um, if you, and you can do that money thing, you $1,260 keeps a kid out of the foster care and orphanage system. And that is just amazing. Like to keep a kid out of the system. (laughs) How cool is that? That's so awesome. Gosh. Well, thank you for, first of all, thank you for all of the very, very important and incredible work that you're doing. I'm truly so inspired by it. And thank you for taking the time to share your story, your powerful stories with us. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it and love your friendship. I love you too. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. We're so grateful that you spent time with us today. Make sure you go follow us at Corinne Stoko or at Mint Arrow Messages on Instagram. And then if you have a second and you love the show, I would love it so much if you'd leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the only way people can find out about us if they haven't heard about us before. So just go tap the stars, leave a rating or a review. If you have a second, we would appreciate it so much.